while I'm waiting for something to lean on coming, you, many of you would have received an email during the week from the pastoral team, but some of you would not have received that email and may not be aware of the news that this week, on Thursday, Leona, our church administrator, tendered her resignation and she'll be finishing, I think, on the 1st of July. Uh, we'll tell, she'll tell part of the story, I'm sure, over the next few weeks, but basically she's uh, got a real heart for Bloom Ministry. They approached her like months ago and uh, they're looking for someone to come and work for them part-time as they expand and she certainly, that resonates for her very deeply. And then just in recent weeks, another Christian organisation or Christian group has approached her and said they'd like to come, approached her to come and work for them and that also resonated for her. So between part-time with Bloom and part-time with a medical centre, it doesn't leave much time to be the church administrator. <laughs> so she uh, tendered her resignation, as I said, till the 1st of June, but then we'll have a break, but we'll be still hanging around. As far as I know, she and Martin will continue as part of our church here. This awesome church, as Kerry called it. Um, and we'll also very graciously be offering to assist with the new administrator on any part-time basis, one or two days or whatever is required for a few months up until September, sometime like then, which is very gracious of her and we appreciate that. So please uh, continue to uphold Martin and Leona. We need to thank Martin too because he is the one who has sacrificed his time with her for her to be released, to be so involved as a church administrator here and she's done a great job as I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, will agree. So we thank Martin likewise and we thank Leona and we'll do so towards uh, the end of uh, her time and uh, we'll honour her in some special way. So I just wanted you all to know that. Next Sunday, likewise, we are having um, Hertford Street Baptist Church come and visit us at the 10.30 service. So that'll be about next, I don't know, 25, 30 folk. They'll turn up probably at the end of this service or between services and... So you may get a chance to meet some of them if you would like. And then, of course, they're going to just be part of the service, just to meet people, and we'll have a special morning tea after the second service. And then um, in the afternoon, they are not coming to this. It's just for us, our folk, for you guys. We're having a forum. You would have received a copy, I trust, of the plan, the partnership plan between us and Hertford Street. Um, and so that's an opportunity for you to ask questions, share input, uh, raise some issues that you might have thought of that we haven't thought of and and of course that's not a decision making thing that's just a sharing discussing together clarifying then we have a members meeting on the 19th which is several of these issues will go and certainly on the 19th there will be a motion from the pastoral team with a view to accepting the plan or amending and accepting the plan or whatever happens to be it's nice to have tony back with us again this morning um Glad that you're here. I didn't see Helen, but I understand Helen is recovering and doing well. Um, and I don't want to embarrass her, but it's nice to have Kylie back with us here this morning as well. She never likes me to greet her publicly, so you have to forgive me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for Lloyd. Thank you for the ministry of he and Charlotta with the ship, with OM. And as Lloyd has shared and requested, so we pray for the folks who are right now on the ship. May you continue to grow them deep in Jesus. Help them to learn life-changing principles and then use them 
as passionate disciples, passionate followers of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for Tony, for Helen, for their recovery. We pray for your ongoing healing to be upon their life. And we thank you for Leona and for Martin likewise and pray that you will direct them in their ways. Father, we come now to read your word and we ask that your Holy Spirit might take this portion of your word and instruct us where necessary, correct us, and deepen our understanding. Nourish us, Lord, with your word. Help it to sink deep within that we can be impacted by it and transformed by it as we seek to follow Jesus. We want to thank you for your presence and pray again for Kerry that you will continue to watch over her and bless her, use her as your child. So, Father, we pray for ourselves now as we hear your word and we pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 we're going to read. Um, we are reading, working our way through Corinthians. Excuse me. Um, and we are working through Corinthians because it's a church which was a, a young church, but a church that needed to be transformed. And there are many issues, and we've already looked at some of those issues. And this morning brings us to another one, 5 and 6. Chapters 5 and 6 certainly fit together. And when you look at the big picture like that, it's strange that in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talks about church discipline, about a person who was committing sexual immorality with his stepmother. And then he comes to chapter 6, and in the first half, verses 1 to 11, he sort of, it's almost like he digresses, and he talks about the believers taking one another before the courts. And then in the second half of the chapter, he comes back to talk about sexual immorality. So from sexual immorality to the courts to sexual morality. And what's, what's the connection? Well, the connection is, in chapter 5, they were not exercising appropriate church discipline, and that was affecting their witness, their reputation in the community. In chapter 6, both parts of the chapter, both taking a fellow believer before the courts, but also the sexual immorality issues were likewise affecting their witness. That's the theme. The Corinthians had, in their youthfulness, they're only Christians about 18 months, maximum of two years old, and in their youthfulness of following Jesus, the world was getting into the church. And they were not considering or they weren't aware of the implications that their witness was being defeated, destroyed. And so it was going to be ineffective as a church of reaching lost people for Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let's hear God's instructions to us. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the th ordinary things, the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. 
the very fact that you have lawsuits among yourselves means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Well, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. We'll pause there. We'll do that front half I think this morning and the second half we'll do tonight we'll repeat a little bit of this morning but we'll focus upon verses 12 down to the end of the chapter verse 20 at tonight's service which as I said has a similar theme of in everything you do seek to honor Jesus that's the bottom line in everything we do seek to honor him a few weeks ago I spoke about the church as being like a lifeboat the purpose of a lifeboat is not, look, is not to look clean and neat and secure. The purpose of the lifeboat is to be in the water, in the ocean, saving people. And the church is like a lifeboat. And when the church is in the water and it's reaching out to lost souls, saving people, then it's doing the job that Jesus wants it to do. But when the water is getting into the lifeboat, and that's danger. What the Apostle Paul is trying to do to the Corinthian church, and particularly in this chapter, or chapters, He's trying to bail the water out. He's trying to help the church get back on track and to be doing the job that God intended them to do. But for the Corinthians, those on the inside of the church were behaving or still behaving like those who are on the outside of the church. Not sure about American society, but in our society, certainly the cost of going before the courts is prohibitive for many of us. But for Greek society, it was very, very different. For them, going before the courts, the local tribunals and judiciaries, was a form of public entertainment. It was fun. It's what you did. We've replaced it with TV in our world. But even on TV, we love to watch, well, if you're old enough, remember Perry Mason? Oh, some of you do. Or we, there's something gripping about watching a court case, and it grips us, it mesmerizes us to the very end. And the Greeks, not the Jewish Corinthians, because they had a separate standard of law. A Jew would never take a Jew before a secular court. Not only did the Old Testament give instructions on that, but they also had their own permission commentaries from the Talmud and, and the Romans gave special permission for the Jews just to deal with their own in-house issues. Just like Muslims today are seeking to have Sharia law, to have their own law system for their own religious purposes. So it's not a Jewish issue, it's really a Greek issue and Paul, a Jew, is just horrified by the attitude of these litigious Greeks. And if you read the passage carefully, then in verse 2, the Apostle Paul says it's about trivial issues. I'm not talking about major issues. We're not talking about crimes. 
that certainly need to go before the courts and the legal systems. We're talking about minor, ordinary, trivial, daily disputes between believers in this context, and their first recourse appears to be, I'll take you to court. I'll have some fun. And some commentators want to insert that it's probably the rich who are taking the poor because it did cost money. Um, but just to give you a bit of an outline, a bit of the background, this is the context in which it's written into. Courts were entertaining for them. There were various levels. Number one, there was the arbitrator, the private arbitrator. So if I had a dispute with a person over here, then I would go and get my own private arbitrator, that person would get their own private arbitrator, and the two arbitrators would pick a third who would be the deciding arbitrator who would help us just meet together and to sort this out. If that didn't resolve it, and often it didn't, then there was a thing called a court of 40, not 12, 40. And the court of 40 were made up of those who had to be 60 years of age and over. You had to be in your 60th year to serve as part of this court, to hear the case and to give your verdict. Let's just do a quick show of hands. Who's 60? Ah, two of us. Okay. <laughs> now, this is a place where truth is told. <laughs> Who is 60 and over? Oh, look. We could have a whole lot of fun. If that didn't work, then there was called then the jury court. Now it depended on the amount. If it was a small amount, if it was under $50, then there were 201 citizens who would sit to hear it. 201. That's not quite as many. That's yeah, not quite as many here as us here this morning. But it's like us. So here am I with another person. I appear before you guys to tell my side of the story and they tell their side of the story and it's about a trivial issue. He's built a fence and he wants me to pay for it. His fruit's grown over the fence and I took it. Now he's accusing me of stealing. Whatever the issues are, they are minor, they are insignificant little things and the reason they're going to court particularly is for the entertainment, for the fun of it. That's the background. And Paul is absolutely horrified. He says in verse 1, how dare you? In good old colonial Australian slang, how stupid are you? You need to consider the implications of what you were doing. 201 citizens, if it was a small amount. If it was an amount over $50, it's 401 citizens. And there are historical records from Athens, and Corinth is not far from Athens, between 1,000 and the highest is 6,000 people sitting to hear a court case. Under those circumstances, you had to be over the age of 30. That's nearly every... well, not quite. Nearly everybody here this morning. And you were paid three obol per day. How much is an obol? Well, William Barclay's the one who gives me this, and he said it was three and, three and a half pence. <laughs> How much is that? I don't know. Five dollars? Small amount. But this permeated their society, and so every morning people would get up and they would assemble down near the marketplace where your name was chosen by lot. It was compulsory. You didn't have a choice. 
you were conscripted to be on the jury that day. Was it a minor case? Was it a major case? Didn't matter. And even if you weren't conscripted, people would often hang around just for the entertainment, just to hear the arguments backwards and forwards. And particularly in Corinth, where they loved eloquence, it was often the eloquent lawyer who won the day. Whether it was right or wrong didn't matter. And Paul is basically saying to them, look, if you've got to do it, do it inside the church. Try to have the church settle the issues. As it is, you're guilty of pursuing public opinion. And as Paul says, how dare you? So now, to be clear, we're not talking about crimes. We're not talking about major events. We're not talking about cover-up stuff. We are talking about trivial matters that even we as God's people have the ability to be able to discern and to follow. That's what he argues. He says in verse 3 or verse 2, Don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? In the millennium, we will rule and be in charge of cities and we'll be deciding cases under Jesus and with Jesus. But nonetheless, we have the resources now that we will certainly have them. We have his spirit, we have his word, we have his wisdom imparted to us. And so Paul is saying, if we're going to be doing that, then surely you can make decisions about this. It's such a minor, trivial thing. Then he says, verse 3, the only time in the, in the New Testament, in the Bible, in fact, don't you know that we, includes himself, we believers, are also going to judge angels. I assume that means demons, bad angels. But he also might mean we will be evaluating the ministry of angels. You know how angels are sent forth to serve and to minister to us? perhaps, I don't know, this is all we're told, don't you know that we will judge angels, we'll be part of the process of evaluating them, not for their salvation, because they don't have salvation, they're holy, the elect angels, but they are servants, and so they will be, their service will be evaluated. I don't know if we have guardian angels or not, it'd be nice if we did, wouldn't it? The answer's yes, if you're struggling with that one. Maybe we get to evaluate him. Where were you when this happened? I don't know. Something like that. But the point Paul is saying, not only are we going to judge the world, we're also going to judge those in the spiritual realm. We have the resources to make these evaluations and decisions. Don't just abandon it for the sake of going publicly to the courts for the fun, for the entertainment of it, to hurt and harm a brother in Christ. Where you're pursuing your own reputation and your own egos and your own whatever it is that you are particularly pursuing. Abandon it. So he says, remember your position. You're going to judge the world. Verse 7, he says, remember your profession of faith. Now note this. He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits, the very fact there is a dispute between you and another Christian, and it hasn't been solved, it hasn't been resolved, before you even get to court, you're defeated. You've failed. You haven't been able to resolve this. And then Paul, in fact, says you are completely or utterly defeated already. And to actually take the step of going outside the church and going before unbelievers, in this case the court system, you're demonstrating that the gospel is inadequate. 
that while we talk about reconciliation, it's all nonsense, isn't it? Because we can't even reconcile over this. We're weakening the impact of the gospel. We're, being, we're making Christ a laughing stock before the community because we're becoming entertainment fodder for the non-Christian community. Your profession of faith is being weakened. And in fact, you've lost even if you win. You go to court and you win the case, you've lost really. You've lost spiritually. You've lost the impact of the gospel. You've lost. And particularly you could also lose because if you win before these rather inept court systems... And if you're more eloquent than the person you're opposed, if you're smarter and cleverer and if you have more money than they do when you win, then you could get the reputation of just being either a fraud or greedy or malicious. Either way, you're defeated. And then his third argument goes into verses 9 and following where he says, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now that's either a warning. Those who are behaving this way are behaving like they are not part of the kingdom. They're wrongdoers, so it's a warning. But he also is alluding and describing the very people that they are appearing before. These are the characteristics of the jurors. This is how the people of Corinth lived. And Paul is saying, you're dabbling in your past life again. You've been saved from that, verse 11, but now you're going back to that, to the, before the very people whom you have tried to leave when you sought to follow Jesus. You're going before people who are not right with God, who are not right with one another, who are behaving immoral and all other sorts of wrong things, and you're asking them, can you make a choice between, tell me, between us? Because we can't sort it out. You're already spiritually defeated, the Apostle Paul is saying. It's a failure to take our dirty linen in public. There is certainly that element. Therefore, conclusion. Christians who are in fellowship in the same church, who are in fellowship with one another, who are part of the Christian community, and in Corinth there was only one church. Christians who are in fellowship with one another should never go to those who are outside the fellowship to settle their differences. Now, you may not take another Christian to court, but if you go before your non-Christian spouse, if you go before your non-Christian friend or work colleague or neighbour or relative and you complain or whinge about a dispute you're having with a Christian in the church you're doing exactly the same thing you're taking a dispute between believers before the outsiders so be careful Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians this is the gospel in a nutshell and that is what some of you were you used to be like that you're washed. Doesn't necessarily mean baptism, but it could certainly include it. It's more the regeneration washed by his word, Ephesians 5. You were sanctified, been set apart. You were justified. You were declared not guilty. All of your offences have been paid for in full in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. But our fallenness, because we live in this fallen world, can sometimes make us want to take our grievances, we want to be not only right with God, but we want to be right 
in the eyes of other people. We want others to know that we are good and right. We value their opinion. So when we get attacked or hurt, we become very defensive. And sometimes to the detriment of the gospel because we're more interested in protecting ourselves than we are in honouring him. So they were destroying their witness. They were covetous, greedy, into selfish satisfaction. So we've been over this numerous times, but we'll go over it again this morning. So what is the process when there is a dispute between believer and believer? And it does happen. Of course it happens. Is it a sin? Or is it a hurt? There's an offence. It's something else. You may not be able to have chapter and verse to say it's that, but it's something they said, it's something they did, it's something they are choosing to do when it's hurtful or offensive to you. There's some issue between you, whatever it is. What do you do? Four things. Number one, the Bible says, can you overlook it? Love covers a multitude of sins. Can you overlook it? Is it something I can just ignore? Is it something I can just let go through to the keeper? I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to talk about it. I just extend forgiveness to them and I just take it on the chin. I get up, I grow up and I get over it. Can I do that? And if I can, do that. We should extend that grace to one another all the time. What if I can't? What if I have to do something about it? Well, number two. Pray about it. Prepare carefully in your thinking. If necessary, write out what you need to say. And then see the person whom you're upset with one-on-one. This is what Jesus said. Don't talk to anyone else. Go to that person. It's between you and them alone. Now, that's the step where we often mess it up isn't it but before we get to go to the person we want to talk to several people or to some people and say I'm thinking this how do I do this and we ask for advice and input and everything else and Jesus says don't do that go to the person alone talk to them if they listen and it's resolved terrific nobody else needs to know about it if they don't listen if it's not resolved if they don't agree with you then what can you do? Well, that's when you go to somebody and you seek advice. You seek and do so confidentially. Again, you continue to pray and you prepare and you have a second meeting. That was Jesus says. Into that second meeting, you take not just yourself with the person one-on-one, you bring along a mediator, you bring along somebody else who's going to help not just the conversation, but they're also going to be a witness to the conversation. They will be able to testify that this person is stubborn, is not listening, they're being unreasonable or whatever it happens to be. Or they might have that testimony about you, that you're being pig-headed and pushy and you're not listening. But they become a witness as well as a mediator. That's number two. Sorry, that's step three, isn't it? If that works, well and good. Those mediator, those people who are part of this process, they take that instant and that story with them to the grave. They don't talk about it. It's done and dusted. What if that doesn't work? Well, then Jesus' instruction is, well, then you take it up another level. You tell the church, you involve the church in whatever this thing is. And of course, as you're going along the way, you might get to that point after that mediation failure and you might go, 
do I really want to take this before the church body? Is it that big an issue? And you might decide then, oh, I'm going to let it go. And you wear the cost. You extend forgiveness. You don't hold it against them, even though the matter's not resolved. You pray that God would bless them. You will naturally want to pray for God to judge them. Don't pray for judgment. Never ask God to bring justice. We're all dead. We all need mercy and grace. So pray that for that person. Help them to be responsive to God and to do what pleases and honours him. If it's not resolved though and you can't do that, well the next stage is you do take it before the church. If they don't listen to the church, the Bible says, then you remove them from the church fellowship. Now you've got another issue. Now you not only have the issue that's not resolved between them, you have a much more important issue. That person is now out of step and out of fellowship and walking away from Jesus. They need forgiveness, they need the gospel, they need to be saved. That becomes the priority. And then, of course, depending on what the issue is, you may very well have to take the step of not just forgetting about it and not just letting the person walk away from the church. Whatever this area of dispute, it won't be a trivial thing, it'll be significant, where you'll say, well, I have to do something legally about this. To be a responsible person in the society, this may need to be dealt with. You know, breach of contract or fraud or something like that. It's not just you, it's society that needs to be protected from this misbehaviour. And if they won't listen to the authority of the church, then they need to be brought under the authority of the secular authorities. And it's, again, it's a judgement call. What do you do? Sometimes, if the church cannot enforce its ruling, then sometimes the secular authorities will need to. But if you're going to go that route, if you're going to go before the secular authorities, bear this in mind. Calvin, who trained in two legal institutes in France before becoming a theologian, he observed that people who go before the courts are often motivated, driven by a desire to obtain, to get something. They're intent on winning, which is the underlying and undermining the opposite of a Christian profession. So be careful of your motives and why you're going before the secular authorities. Calvin observed and he wrote, often that which motivates people to take another person to court is not just this desire for gain, but it's there you'll see motivations of stubbornness, greed, revenge, impatience and hostility. It's getting ugly. So it better be a very good reason why you're doing it. Society says, demand your rights. And if you're denied, take it to court. Jesus says, love others, reconcile, suffer wrong. But do that which is the right and the best as well for society. So here are these principles. My time is gone, but I need to hasten this through. Question. Do we think children should be disciplined? Yes. Do we think children should be corrected for naughty behaviour? 
Yes. Do we think parents should ignore naughty children? No. Do we think we should trust God? No. Not on this. God has a delegated authority to the parents and they're responsible for discipline. For the parent to abandon their responsibility to say, I don't want to discipline my child, I want to love them, I'm going to let God discipline, is abandoning the authority that God has given them and the responsibility. Pray for our parents because when I was, I still am a parent, aren't I? When I was a young parent, it was quite okay to deliver the hand of knowledge to the seat of learning. Sure, it was effective, and I have two outstanding children today. Take after their mother. <laughs> so, good, number one, God has entrusted parents the responsibility to train, guide, and correct children. Number two, God has entrusted governments, courts, the police, the military, to decide, to correct, and to punish crimes, misbehaviors that go on in society. That's why they're there, Romans 13. Number three, Therefore, there is a time and there is a circumstance when we need to use God-given authorities to establish justice or to settle disputes and differences. These authorities are to be fair, just and impartial. They have a role and they have a place. Number four, so too God has established the church to instruct and correct bad behaviour in the church. Number five, when a person will not submit to the instruction or the direction or the advice of the church authority refuses to be corrected in their behaviour, then after they have been removed from the fellowship of the church, then it still may be necessary sometimes to use the secular authorities to protect others in society. Is the biblical truth and balance. The Corinthians were being unwise in how they were settling disputes between themselves. They were slack on church discipline, chapter 5, and they were motivated by material gain and entertainment, chapter 6. In verse 11, they were greedy and they were swindling. And both were destroying their witness before the unbelievers. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says to them, cut it out. There is a process to go through when you have disputes. Follow that process. Don't ignore it. Don't jump steps. And stop going from, I have a dispute, I'm going to court. You may end up in court, but there are steps to go to beforehand. Basically, it's all about our witness, our integrity, and let all that we do honour him. That's the truth of what Paul is trying to communicate to this young Corinthian church and therefore to us as well. We are to permeate the world. We're to be an influence for the gospel. Not for ourselves. Not for our reputations. Not for our personal gain. But for his honour and glory. Our time is gone. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to close in prayer and then I'll give you the blessing, the benediction. Invite you to talk about this truth, to examine your life. Are you in alignment with this text? And you might be somebody here this morning who has 
a need, a hurt, a question, an issue, and you want someone to pray with you. There are people around you who are more than capable and would love to pray with you. If you want, if you, want you can come to the front. We'll pray for you down here, but you don't need to. Just chat to the person beside you. And if someone shares something with you, just offer, can I pray for you? And let's just pray for one another and bring our needs before him. We are not perfect people. We are flawed and we live in a flawed and broken world where sometimes we will hurt and we will have disputes with one another. And he tells us what we are to do and how we are to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning in obedience. It's your desire. And Lord, we delight in you and we want you to delight in us. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, for unresolved disputes. Forgive us for making bad choices. Lord, forgive us for being more concerned about our own reputations or people's opinions of us. And in the same time, neglecting their opinion of you and your reputation, your glory in the world. Extend your forgiveness and grace over each of us. Fill us with your spirit. And send us forth from this place, Lord, with a strong desire that in all that we do, to honour you, to please and to glorify you. Grant to us your grace, your mercy and your peace. Extended to us in Jesus. We receive it and ask for it in his name. And everyone said, you can be seated.